You know, we're going to come out of Acts chapter 13, and we're going to focus on just a small section. And this is really the beginning of what we would call the missionary journeys. But before we go ahead and look at this scripture, I'd like us to consider why did Luke write the book of Acts? And there's a lot we can say and only have a short period of time, but I want you to think and understand is that if you were a disciple of Jesus and perhaps you were in the church or thinking about becoming a Christian, maybe about 40, 50 years after Jesus died, what information would you need? What would you want to understand? And the book of Acts is about God. It's about the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is about how God, through his spirit, has worked through the whole Roman Empire and how it's taking Jesus to the world. It's full of amazement. Oh my gosh, look at these Roman centurions becoming disciples. Oh my goodness, look at these persecutors become proclaimers. Look at kings and those who were ill or paralytic, those on the fringes of society becoming disciples of Jesus. But also, you see suffering. You see hardship. You see conflict. And so you see, to the amazement of those who are reading Luke's account about Acts, it's not all fluff, it's hard. It's tough. This discipleship stuff is is a challenge. But at the same time, it is amazing, and it's doing amazing things through people's lives. You know, it's so cool when you see things, how the Spirit works in people's lives. You know, and in families' lives. You know, last week we had the privilege of seeing a teen get baptized, uh, Mia Hermans. And where's little Mia at right now? (laughs) Mia, go ahead and stand up really quick and yeah! Amen. Amen. Mia was baptized, you know, she's an incredible young girl and and she got baptized last week. And you know what? As As a son, as a daughter of Bruce and Chris, understanding their love for her, understanding their love for God, she wanted to make Jesus Lord of her life after she studied the scriptures. You know, later today, we're going to celebrate with the Rodriguez family. And uh, Eliseo is getting baptized. Junior is getting baptized. And where's he at? Go ahead and stand up. Amen. Amen. And it's the same thing. Seeing mom and dad and and their love for him, but more importantly, seeing mom and dad's love for God, making him want to understand Jesus for himself, and then counting the cost and understanding, okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And so amazement, excitement, God's working, working through people, working through situations, incredible people being baptized, those who are poor, those who are ill, persecutors become proclaimers. Shocking, but it's hard. Now here in Acts chapter 13, there's a transition going on in the book of Acts. And Acts 13 verse 1, it says, And now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, man, a longtime friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You know, here the writer, Luke, is talking about the church in Antioch, and he just starts off with this list of disciples in the church. And again, we don't know them. The only one we really know is Saul, who becomes his, his Roman name, Paul. And we understand, we know about Paul, Saul, but the other guys we don't know. And it's very similar to our church here today. Bottom line is the Antioch church had some really cool people in it that were servants. They were prophets. They were teachers. And they were really cool. Imagine looking around here and the names that we can just rattle off. Man, they serve here. They do this. They do that. Man, they're incredible people. And the list can go on. And the only reason I'm not going to say names is because you'll say, what about me? Am I not cool? No, you're cool. But see, Luke just rattled off a few names of these really cool people. But then you find out, you see this climate. You see this characteristic. You see this heart in the church at Antioch. Everyone's involved. They're together, willing to engage, humble, loving, focused. You know, we showed Humilify, the video. Imagine a church of a thousand people in Dallas that all of its members are humble. How about 2,000? 2,000 disciples who typify humility. But this church, it says, is starting off here, and it says they're worshiping and fasting. A little bit later, we find out that they're praying. No frantic activity. No programs that are burning out the congregation. They're just worshiping and fasting. You know, I think when we think about worship, what does it mean as a collective, as, a, as an, our environment, that we come together and we worship God? What does that mean? Well, worship is the expression of reverence, adoration of God. There's God, and then there's us. There's God, and then there's me. Peter worshiped God in the boat when he said, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. But you also sing, see worship in song and prayer, glorifying God. Here in Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 15, we find that the writer Hebrews says, uh, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good, to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we come together as a church, like Antioch, and we worship. Not, it's not confined to this, this time alone. We can worship tonight. We can worship tomorrow. We can worship on Tuesday and Wednesday. We can worship by ourselves collectively. But bottom line, the Antioch church had an atmosphere of worship. Must have been pretty exciting. They all disciples come together and they're just in this worshipful mentality. Because you know what? Look at God. Man, this is incredible. Look what he's doing. It says they also fasted. 
deliberately, generally prolonged abstination of eating as a means of humbling oneself to God. Now imagine a church, we come together and the music's great, the singing's great, the praying's great, woo, we're worshiping Jesus. And we got all types of music because we got all types of people. But fasting, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it gets really quiet. <laughs> it's like, you know, when you hit a nerve and you really like something, like, hallelujah. But then all of a sudden you start talking about something, and it's like, hey, who's he talking to? I mean, you know, I mean, fasting, saying no. Saying no to that burger after church. <laughs> Saying no to dinner after that burger after church. <laughs> Saying no to breakfast. When was the last time you fasted? You know, back in the day. Back in the day, and that means like 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Back in the day, we'd talk about fasting all the time, and fasting a day was nothing. Usually it was like three-day fast. Sometimes it was a week fast. And there were the crazy ones that would go like 20 days. Someone went 40 days. And we're not talking about, oh, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to fast from chocolate. <laughs> oh, no sodas for me for a month. You know, oh, man, I'm going to really deny myself. Really? Okay, you know what? I'm not against that. It's a sacrifice. But, you know, fasting is, the, the bottom line, fasting is, is, you know what? Okay, this is tough. This is going to be hard. And I'm going to focus on praying. I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to focus on his will. It's going to give me more time to read. I'm going to be able to, fasting. You know, when it's, it's one thing to worship, and I love to worship. It's another thing to have an atmosphere, the climate, that it's like, wow, man, a lot of people are fasting here. Now, again, now fasting is delicate. Matt, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. The writer Matthew says, and when you fast. It doesn't say if you fast. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But you, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting. An atmosphere, a climate of worship. But also the church was actively fasting. Saying no to food. Saying, no, you know what? It's, I, I'm going to be having an extended period of time because I want to humble myself before God. And it's really about me and God, not me and everyone else to see. And we could have some fun with this, like, you know, like, oh, you know, you can tell so-and-so is fasting. They always talk about it. Paul's saying, don't, or Matthew's saying, don't do that. Keep it between you and God. Imagine the church fasting, worshiping, but also the church had a climate of praying. Our communication with our Father, our time that we talk with God, it's 
God, you know, let me tell you what else is going on, and I want to communicate, and I want you to know what's going on with my, my marriage or my kids or my health or what I'm doing, and, and help me work through this, and i got to figure this out, and Lord, I need your spirit, and just talking to my dad. Ben did a great lesson in the Northwest last week and about prayer, and I'm not going to dive into prayer that much, but we talk about prayer and You know, we talk about communication, how important it is, how much more that we communicate with our Father. So the church, the Antioch church, offered themselves to the Lord for whatever God needed and wherever he wished to send them. You know, this last week, and I appreciate again what was shared already by Alan and Mark and our special missions contribution. You know, just as, as an evangelist in the church, thanking you for your generosity, thanking you for your willingness to glorify God by giving what God has given you for those who are unable to help themselves in this area. That's a form of worship. So this atmosphere in Acts chapter 13, this atmosphere of the church worshiping, praying, fasting, but why? Why would you ask yourself, why were they doing these three things? Why was this group, this church, so focused on doing these things? You know the bottom line? It was all about Jesus. They were focused on Jesus. The church was called to be about the ministry of Jesus. They were focused on preaching to a lost world. They were focused on teaching keeping the saved saved. They were focused on healing those who needed to be healed. The reason they were fasting and praying and and worshiping God is because they wanted to be filled with him, his presence, so they can be about his purpose. Set apart, called. And see, now we see the Holy Spirit set apart two candidates of this church and says, you know what, I want them to do this. Now, I don't know how the Holy Spirit did that. I don't know if they were praying, all of a sudden someone jumped up and says, I see this person doing this and that. I don't know. Maybe Paul and Barnabas offered themselves. I don't know. But all we know is that the Holy Spirit said to the church, set apart for me these two people. Because the climate of the church was such that they were in touch with God. And they then responded to what God wanted Barnabas and Saul to do. So then the Spirit announces that God has called these two guys to a special work. You know, we think about us here today. Chosen. Separated. Called. We read this scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you have received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, the Barnabas and Saul, they were called, they were chosen, they were picked. The Holy Spirit said, send them. You know, it's one thing when it says, you know what, someone else gets picked. How about when you get picked? You know, grade school, you know, talk about some of the most insecure time of your life. 
going out to the playground, and we're going to play kickball, and we're going to go ahead, and we're going to pick. And you know what? Usually kids, when they pick for kickball, they want to win. So they don't start picking the scrubs. They pick those who think that they're going to help their team win versus the other person. So I'm going to pick my team, and, man, I'm going to pick Mark, and, man, I'm going to pick George, and, you know, I'm going to pick Ben and Jacob, and, you know, you pick Alan. I don't want Alan. <laughs> because I want to win. I'm joking. But see, called, chosen, we're royal. Called out, holy. And see, now we're called out of darkness to proclaim his excellencies. We're called out to do something. We know Paul and Bartimaeus were called out to go on a missionary journey. But see, we got to understand is that if we as a church have this climate, and we as a church are going to be focused then on fulfilling the ministry of Jesus, then that means we're called, and we're called to go. You became a disciple. You read Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18 or verse 19 says, go. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We as disciples are called, set apart for a work. The church was called to go. You know, it's, it's not and never has been about buildings, programs, or property. God's church always consists of people, and the emphasis always falls on people. In the Gospels and in the book of Acts, it's all about relationships. You know, I think a challenge that we have now, and it's a term that I like, and for those of us who hunt, is dogs that don't hunt. And there's nothing, wor there's nothing worse <laughs> than having a dog that doesn't hunt. Now, I have a picture here of my two dogs. And Marley and Bowser are taking a bath. And they don't want to get their hair wet. You know, Marley and Bowser are descendants of the great wolf. And the great wolf, we know, all has been trained to hunt. Now, you know, perhaps, you know, we can train a dog to hunt a little bit. As we see here in the next picture of Marley, Marley knows. He knows how to hunt for a, for a little biscuit. He knows how to hunt for a little chew toy. But it's like, you know, it's like you got these six-pound dogs, and, you know, it's like a dog is supposed to hunt. You know, how about Disciples. You know, there's a, I'm going to show a, a video clip real quick. Okay. It's about, a, it's a true story. It's a, it's a book, and it's a, 
It was actually written about this woman's life, and the, the clip is from Dead Man Walking. And it's about this nun who uh, goes to death row inmates and serves death row inmates. And it's, it's actually, this story here is in Texas. And so here's a little clip of a situation that she had. It was at the trial of a man who is basically um, accused of murder, two teenagers, raped and murdered. And they're on trial, and they're about to be either set free or sentenced. And this is a little clip that I want to show. It's always a good sign when you have to wait. I don't know whether we made any headway in there. I thought you did great. The best thing would be if they realized their own culpability in the death of a man. Hilton. Hmm? Excuse me, sir. I'm Walter Delacroix's father. Mr. Delacroix, I'm sorry about your sister. I'm a Catholic. How can you sit by Apostolate's side without ever having come to visit with me and my wife or the Percy's to hear our side? How can you spend all your time worrying about Apostolate and not think that maybe we needed you too? Mr. Delacroix, I didn't think that you wanted to talk to me. Go ahead. This is Mary Beth and Clyde Percy. I'm sorry about your daughter. Yeah, so are we. Excuse us. Listen, sister. I'm sure you've seen a side of Matt Ponsett that none of us has seen. I'm sure he's on his best behavior. Must be pretty sympathetic to you. But, sister, this is an evil man. This is a man who abducted teenage kids and raped and kill them. That scum robbed me of my only son. My name, my family name dies with me. There will be no more Delacroix, sister. No more. I want you to know I do care about you and your family and what happened to your son. I'm gonna give you my number. If there's anything that you need, you just call me. Me call you? Think about that, sister. Think about how arrogant that is. Excuse me. You all right? We better be getting on in. You know, I saw that video or that movie, I don't know, 50, 20 years ago maybe. I still remember it. Me call you? Someone's hurting? Someone's suffering? Someone's lost? Someone needs God? Oh, here, let me give you my number. Let me, let me give you my number, and if you want to, you can contact me. Think about it. Think about how arrogant that is. See, when dogs don't hunt, they just take showers and be, take care of their hair. They look cute, and they're treated as they're cute. And maybe they go and hunt for a little bone because they're cute. But see, when dogs don't hunt, they don't make an impact. They just take up space. And see, we're still surrounded by a, a lost and hurting country. Even though we're in Texas and even though we're in Dallas, we still live in a lost world. 
Here, let me give you my number. Call me. Call me when you see that you need God. Call me when you realize that maybe you need to study the scriptures. Call me when you're trying to deal with maybe this pain and suffering that you're going through. Think about how arrogant that is. See, I think sometimes, I mean, I, I, I remember I said, I saw like 20 years ago, and that haunts me. Because I've seen myself having an arrogant attitude. Yesterday, you know, I, um, a couple days ago, my sister, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, about a year younger than I, a year and a half younger than I, she has uh, cancer, breast cancer. And she had a double mastectomy about two weeks ago. And I needed to go see her. She did radiation. She had the surgery. I need to see her before she does radiation. i got to get some time with her. So I flew out to Illinois. A uh, really quick visit to visit her, my mom, my other siblings. i got to spend some time with her. I flew back Saturday morning. The, fl- the plane left like at 5 in the morning. Um, and I'm like, okay, i got to get up. i got to get to the airport. And so I flew home. And then we had a party over at Gary and Liz's house. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, all of the, the, the neighbors start coming in. And there are about 10, 12 people there. And I'm sitting there, and, and I'm like, okay, I'm outside, and I'm eating my food, and, and I got my cell phone, and, you know, and I'm tired. I don't want to be giving. I don't want to be out on myself. I just want to sit out here, and it's a nice, cool afternoon. And you know what? I'll let the other disciples reach out to the friends that are there at the strange house. And who's the disciple? Who's called? Who's separated? Who is chosen? Who's a son? Who needs to know better? And to get off their, I'll stay it the French way, derriere, and... <laughs> And to go and serve and love. So I went up and I started reaching out and I had some great talks. But see, sometimes dogs don't hunt. And I know I've blown it. I know I've made mistakes. But man, I want to hunt. I want to get hungry. I want to find the lost. I want to serve the needy. I want to serve those who are hurting. I want to give my heart because I've been chosen. And see, I think as disciples, is that if we have that mindset of we're just sitting back and we're willing to give our number out, it's an arrogant attitude because we live in a hurting world. We live, we're surrounded by people who are suffering. And we're the ones who need to reach out and love and be like Jesus to a hurting world. So we're, so where to have you been called? Where to have you been called? To your work? Some of you work in places that most of us will never be. Surrounded by people we'll never meet. Some of you live in neighborhoods. Or in apartment complexes. Some of you have family members that we'll never talk to, will never come out, and their only opportunity is you to reach out to love because you are called. 
Now, the challenge is, is that maybe sometimes at times we feel like we're not equipped, that we don't have what it takes. And I get that. But, you know, God doesn't call the equipped. God doesn't call those who are equipped. He equips the called. Last scripture, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. And it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be, God, be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, you've got to remember the book of Acts, it's always about Jesus. It's not about the singing. It's not about the preaching. It's not about our phenomenal, you know, uh, building that we have. It's always about Jesus. He'll equip you. He'll help you. And you've got to ask yourself then, it's like, okay, well, how do I get equipped? How's, how am I going to get equipped? Okay, well, the Spirit's going to work on you. But here's, here's what I would challenge us today. If you don't get, feel like you're equipped, well, get open. Talk to those in your Bible talk. Talk to those who are trained. Talk to those who are being effective. Talk to those who are in the ministry. Talk to those. Get open. Hey, you know what? I need to be equipped. I need help because I'm called. I'm chosen. I'm a part of the body of Christ. And we have this climate, we have this atmosphere, and I'm called to go. So I need help going. What do I need to do? You know, I love talking about my Bible talk. My Bible talk, actually my family group, the average age of our Bible talk, not our family group, the average age is 58 years old. Mm. We'll ride in in our wheelchair We'll have our Geritol. You know, we'll sit there and say, what size depends do you wear? A bunch of 58-year-olds. And you know what we do? Man, we party. Last night, yesterday at the Strains house, I think they had like 10 of their neighbors come. It bumped the average age up a few years. <laughs> I think it jumped up from 58 to about 65. And that's okay. Last week, the week before, we had another party. And I think we had like, where was that party at the week before? Oh, no, it was at it's Barb's house. She had family friends. She had neighbors. You know, I think she had about 10, 12 friends from her neighborhood over in Little Elm. We had food, and we partied. We had something over at our house. Again, 58-year-old average, Geritol, wheelchair, and I think we had like 10 friends out. Food and fun. Because guess what? We're called. We're chosen. We're a royal priesthood. We need to help and love and engage 
In one of my talks with one of the guys there last night, I found out that his wife's father, who was there with us that night, he just got diagnosed with dementia. And this guy, is almost, he's like, like 60 years old. He almost started crying on me. And he goes, yeah, my wife, it's, it's even harder on her. Scamper over and I talk to Patty. Hey, Patty, because Patty's mom's going through that. This guy, I said, when I said goodbye to him yesterday, I said, hey, I'd love to see you again. Hope to see you again. He goes, yeah, I hope I see you again too sometime. He's going to see me again. <laughs> He's only two doors down. Why don't you get open? I want to be effective. I want to make a difference in a lost world. I want to be able to bind up the wounded and help the weak. So get open. Ask questions. You know, one of the things that's working in our group is that we're working together. We can't host a party every week. Okay, guess what? The strange are going to do it this week. Last week it was Barb. The week before it was us. We did something over there in Argyle. We work as a team. You do a little bit of this, you do a little bit of that, and guess what? We're going to make an impact. Why? Because we're called. Because we're part of a fellowship that, you know what? The climate is loving and concern. The climate is one of worship and praise and sacrifice and engagement. Because we understand that as disciples, that we've got to fulfill Jesus' ministry. We're here not because of us. We're here because of Jesus. We're here because when we read the Word of God, when we read about Jesus, that's why I do what I do. And ultimately, we understand His calling for us today to go. Whether or not it's in Trophy Club, which is a part of the Northwest region, or part of... <laughs> I had to, you know. Yeah. Messing with Mark. Amen. I got something for Mark next time I preach. Oh, it's going to be good. I can't. I almost used it today, but I couldn't do another video. Where are you? Where are you? Where has God called you to? We're all called somewhere. So I hope that we understand that calling. We understand the impact God wants us to have. We understand how we can love. It's good to, be, to remember. It's good to be grateful. It's good to honor. And ultimately, the challenge we have is understanding that we're called. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. We'll have one last song and then we'll be dismissed.